You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Prepare for glory! I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast, proud members of the Full-Time Fantasy Podcast Network. You can find them at FTF Podnet on Twitter. You can find me at SportsFanaticMB on Twitter. And you can find my co-host for the day, Mr. Matthew Fox, at Nighthawk7734 on Twitter. We are just one of a ton of great podcasts on this network, some of which are Jim Day of FF Champs, Adam Rodas and Dr. Roto from SiriusXM Radio, Bob Lung of the award-winning Fantasy Football Consistency Guide, Dwayne McFarland, Blake Sullivan, and a ton of other great podcasts, your one-stop shop for all of your advice, news, and strategies. And you can find all of us on FullTimeFantasy.com. For today's episode, Matt will be joining me as we break down the rest of the Sunday Slate games and then the Monday Night Football game. We'll give you what who we thought stood out, what guys we are worried about, and then some possible waiver wire targets and buy low candidates moving into week four. Mr. Matthew Fox joining me again today to finish breaking down the Sunday slate and the Monday night football game. How you doing today, Matt? Doing pretty good, actually. Uh, watched all the to the bitter end of the Monday night game. That last garbage time pass to uh, <laughs> Chris Thompson was enough to net me DeAndre Hopkins in my Vampire League. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, I, I did not make it through the Monday night game, but that is uh, that is awesome. We will uh, Thursday. I'm looking forward to getting in a little bit of an update from you and Tony because I know he is also in a uh, in a vampire league on how your how your teams and are doing in those leagues because that's definitely an interesting format. Something I haven't participated in yet, uh, but I do know that uh, you said earlier or in yesterday's episode that you got Saquon Barkley throughout this as well so I'm interested to see how your guys teams are shaping up with this whole uh, with, with the vampire format yeah that'll be fun first and ten at the Lions 29 and Prescott goes screen right Elliott down the right side to the 25 to the 20 to the 10 Elliott to the pylon Zeke Takes the snap, gives it, Chubb runs, he's in it, 15, he's in it, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, there goes Chubb, he's in the 30, 20, 10, 5, touchdown, Chubb-a-lubba hub! 92 yards! From Adam. Case on a deep drop, steps up in the pocket. He'll fire to the right side. Oh my dick! Stay on! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. 
right, so let's right, jump right back into breaking down the games, and we'll start with the Oakland Raiders losing to the Minnesota Vikings 14-34. On the Raiders' side, Derek Carr, 27-34, 242 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. Uh, to finish his QB 17 on the week with 26.43 points. Josh Jacobs uh, has another bad game, probably due to illness, though. RB 51, 4.4 points, just 44 yards on 10 carries. J.J. Nelson is the leading receiver this week, finishing at wide receiver 33 with 13.6 points, 36 yards on four catches and a touchdown. Tyrell Williams, wide receiver 42, 11.9 points, 29 yards, three catches and a touchdown. And, of course, Darren Waller just continues to be a top and elite tight end for fantasy, getting you... 27.1 points, finishing as the top tight end on the week, 134 yards on 13 catches. I mean, the Raiders struggled here yet again against probably one of the best defenses in the league in the Vikings, yet in a, in a way, Tyrell Williams comes through for you, and obviously Darren Waller does. Are those the only two guys from this Raiders offense you're going to trust uh, playing every single week, just kind of a set and forget in your lineup? Yeah, I mean... I really love Darren Waller. I think uh, tight end one going forward. He's probably the only uh, Raider uh, that I'm trusting right now uh, week to week. I, I just think their offense has some issues. They don't have the easiest schedule. But we saw last year Derek Carr really just pounded Jared Cook with targets. And he ended up having a fantastic year. One of the reasons we thought maybe he had turned a corner, but we've seen in, in New Orleans that may, that may not be the case. It seems to be something about Carr and particularly in this offense. I mean, 14 targets, Waller catches 13 for 134. I feel like he's the guy I'm rolling out every week. Tyrell Williams, I think it's going to depend a little bit on matchups. I am not real high on Carr himself right now. I just don't think we've seen enough good things from him. And Jacobs, it feels like if he can get you a touchdown, that's going to be great. But otherwise, you could end up with a lot of these kind of 44-yard rushing output. He doesn't seem to be a huge factor in the passing game, which to me is always going to limit his ceiling. Yeah, we did hear John Gruden come out after the game yesterday and say that they need to uh, they need to get him more involved in the passing game. Now, saying it is one thing and actually doing it is another. Uh, maybe the fact that he has been sick for the past two weeks dealing with some kind of flu-like symptoms. I know they were saying he was getting all kinds of fluids all week long. Maybe that has something to do with it. He does look a little bit different than the guy we saw week one. Uh, so I'm not gonna. I'm not sure. I'm gonna read too much into this. Is the guy that he is, but I agree with you on the passing game part. That that's become such a huge part of uh, running backs in in fantasy and their value. If he is not involved in that anymore, he's not going to be a a high end RB two. I think you're looking at probably a low end RB two, maybe high end RB three, because you're gonna ba rely pretty much solely on his rushing ability and him possibly getting touchdowns. On the Vikings side, yeah, Kirk Cousins, I mean, I don't want to say struggles, but just does not do much again in this one. 15 to 21, 174 yards and a touchdown to finish his QB 27 on the week, 18.31 points. Dalvin Cook continues to dominate. RB5 on the week with 24.3 points, 110 yards on 16 carries and a touchdown, adds 33 yards on four catches. Adam Thielen continues to be the go-to guy for them in the receiving core, finishing his wide receiver 14 on the week with 20.6 points, gets uh, 55 yards on three catches and a touchdown, also adds one rushing yard and a touchdown as well. And Stefan Diggs just continues to struggle. Uh, I, I made a bold prediction on last Thursday's episode that he would have a huge game against the worst passing uh, defense in the league, and he could extremely let me down in this one. Wide receiver 81 with 4.5 points, just 15 yards on three catches. I mean, the Vikings offense, it seems like, is going to continue to move through Cook. And maybe we should have expected this. Mike Zimmer came out last year. That was the reason he fired John Filippo and he went down to, the, to Jacksonville was because he was not running the ball enough. Kevin Stefanski is definitely running the ball and everything through Dalvin Cook. I mean, Thielen, although they aren't passing the ball much, still seems to be able to get his points, although I do think a lot of it is touchdown reliant. What in the wild, wild world of sports are we supposed to do with Stefan Diggs here now? I mean, I, I, I know we're gonna, we are honestly gonna talk about him more on Thursday as well with being worried about him or not, but I mean, how, if you have Stefan Diggs right now, what are you doing with him? 
Um, sadly, I do have more shares than I wish I did, and I'm rotating him to the bench. Um, I feel great about starting Dalvin Cook if I've got him. I think Adam Thielen has shown he's still mid to upper wide receiver, too. Kirk Cousins has looked terrible. People thought uh, if he had better line play and a better running game, he'd be better. We have just not seen that. Um, and I, I actually do think it's legitimately time to worry about Stefan Diggs. So, I mean, you're, you're talking, you said you're, you're rotating him through to your bench. So you're not even sure that you'd, uh, you, see, it's, it's hard to question because are asked because everybody's leagues are different, but I mean, where would you rank him right now? Would you even consider him being flex worthy moving forward? Because the, the issue I see with him too is they play the Bears this week. So that's obviously not going to be a great matchup right there alone. And then they do have an easier schedule moving forward. Uh, but then at the same time, you're looking at, again, the Raiders' defense was the worst against the pass, and he did absolutely nothing. So I'm not even yeah. sure an easy easier schedule moving forward helps him at all in his narrative. Yeah, I mean, it really depends on what your other options are. You know, if your other option is Trey Quinn or Robbie Anderson, you're probably still putting digs in your flex spot and just praying. Um, but in leagues where I have other options, you know, like where I have somebody like an Allen Robinson or I've even moved uh, in one league, I took digs out and put Terry McLaren in. Oh. Uh, you know, I just don't see, you know, I think you – you might have better options. Let's. It's been three weeks now. You're right. They're going to play the Bears. The Vi- You know, the Vikings are in, not in a division that's going to be super easy. Um, it seems like Diggs is still the guy that's drawing the top coverage corner. Green Bay has a much better pass defense. Detroit has a couple of great pass defenders. Chicago has some great pass defenders. There are some good pass defenders in the NFC, and even in games where they're not playing great pass defenses. This is a run first, run second, run third. Oh, I guess we could throw a once in a while team right now. And when that throwing is happening, you can't guarantee it's coming to digs. And even when it goes in his direction, he's not making a lot out of it. I think maybe he's in a funk. Kirk Cousins has looked like he might be in a little bit of a funk until you can see something better. This is actually, uh, funnily enough, a two-in-one team that I don't think looks very good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy because they're yeah, – I feel like Mike Zimmer is wanting to go back to, jokingly, like 1950s football and just play play the game through – play offense through the run game and then just play really good defense. And, I mean, they do have a good defense, but what happens when Dalvin Cook starts to struggle? You, you're already asking Kirk Cousins to almost do, it, no, do nothing in a game. Can he all of a sudden turn it around and be the guy who leads this offense when you're relying so heavily on Dalvin Cook? It's going to be interesting to see. Obviously, I'm ho- I'm not hoping Dalvin Cook gets hurt, but he does have the injury history, so I do feel like that's a fair question to ask. Alexander Madison has looked good, so maybe he's just able to step right up and, and carry the mantle for him, but definitely going to be an interesting offense to watch going forward, uh, and I'm with you. In one of my big money leagues, I have uh, I have Diggs as well, and, and I'm debating... I mean, I've got Robert Woods and Christian Kirk, and I might end up having to play them over in the wide receiver and flex spot and just try and rotate somebody else in my flex until Diggs can do it. I'm I'm almost to the point now where I'm going to have to leave him on my bench until he proves something because at this point I don't even think you can sell him for anything either because his value is so low. No. Yeah, people are just giving you garbage offers right now. This is the worst time to be trying to sell somebody like Diggs. You're never going to recover what you put into him. You just kind of got to hope. At some point, Minnesota gets going a little bit and maybe figures it out. I mean, they're still adjusting to a new offensive coordinator and scheme. It's not just Kevin Stefanski. They have uh, Gary Kubiak there, and I think we're seeing a lot of his influence in that run first and the way that they're going along. And, you know, hopefully they'll get something going here, and we'll start to see uh, the past defensive old – or the past – offensive old but it's it's definitely been a little bit alarming if you uh paid up for those guys oh yeah yeah i took digs in the third round so i'm not i'm really really not happy about it at the moment the next game uh was the new york jets who scored 14 and the patriots 30 uh obviously a a game not a lot of people expected to be a decent game the patriots didn't cover though which was a little bit of a story they seem to never cover when they are favored by more than uh, 20 points, and that happened yet again in this one. 
For the Jets side, Luke Falk, 12 of 22, 98 yards and an interception. Their wide receivers did absolutely nothing here. I mean, Braxton Berrios, two receptions, 29 yards. Jamison Crowder, 25 yards on two catches. Robbie Anderson, 11 yards on three catches. Le'Veon Bell, the only one fantasy worthy and didn't even break double digits. 35 yards on 18 carries and 28 yards on four catches to get you. I'm sorry, he did get double digit points, 10.3 points to finish his RB31 on the week. Uh, I feel like Bell is it. For, for New York. There's just no one else you can trust. And the news is coming out that uh, Darnold should come back in week five. Uh, that's also when Chris Herndon can come back as well. Or I think Herndon can't come back until week six because they have a bye in there and he's suspended for four games. So at once Darnold comes back, would you be willing to play anybody else? Or is that kind of a you have to wait and see it first and see what this offense does with Darnold back? Yeah, I think I'm kind of a wait and see. Um, what does he look like when he comes back? Because the one thing going in the Jets' favor, you're you're still holding on to their pass catchers. Because I think uh, I shared this tweet with you that Mike Clay put out last night. According to his projections, they have the easiest remaining schedule of the last yeah. 13 games. So there's an opportunity there. Um, but Darnold, let's be honest, wasn't lighting the world on fire week one. Uh, and then he's been gone for a protracted period. Mono's the kind of thing that can leave you um, just overall generally weak. Uh, so it may take him a while to get his strength up to get everything going back. And the Jets have some issues. You know, I'm still starting Le'Veon Bell, especially with what you invested in him. I think we've seen enough this season, even in bad games, to feel confident there. But for the rest of the Jets, not starting anyone until I see something else. On the Patriots side here, Tom Brady goes 28 of 42 for 306 yards and two touchdowns to finish as QB 13 on the week with 31.14 points. We saw Jared Stenham come in for one drive, throws an interception, and Bill Belichick right, quickly pulls him right back out and throws Tom back out there, which I thought was pretty funny. Rex Burkhead, 47 yards on 11 carries and a touchdown. He also adds 22 yards on six receptions. To finish as RB8 on the week with 18.9 points. Sony Michelle running back 41 with 7.1 points, 11 yards on 9 carries, and a touchdown. Just does not look right. Uh, I don't know what's going on with Sony Michelle, but as someone who owns him in a couple leagues, I am officially freaking out right now. Julian Edelman leads the wide receivers here as wide receiver 16 with 19.2 points, 62 yards, and a touchdown on 7 catchups. Phil. Dorsett continues to be the deep threat here. 53 yards on six catches and a touchdown to finish his wide receiver 19 with 18.5 points. And then Josh Gordon comes in at wide receiver 29 with 14.4 points. 83 yards on six catches. The most targeted guy on the uh, on the game. Although Edelman did come out injured in this one. Uh, so interesting to note that both Gordon and Edelman suffered injuries in this one. Edelman came out of the game, did not come back in. Gordon did play through it. But Philip Dorsett, with Brown out, do you is Philip Dorsett a guy who's worth the waiver wire ad? He's a guy who's available in a lot of leagues, does seem to be their uh, their their deep threat for the Patriots team. Is he someone you'd be willing to add and throw in your flex spot in the next coming weeks? Yeah, I think there's definitely potential value there. Um, he looked pretty good. Interesting to see, uh, though, the Patriots had a combination of a pretty soft opening schedule and a lot of different combinations of players. James White obviously not there on um, Sunday, so uh, interested to see how much that factored into maybe targets going elsewhere. Um, you wonder how much Michelle is being hurt by the fact James Devlin is gone now on IR. He was their kind of big yeah. blocking fullback, but I I'm with you about panicking on him if you especially with where people invested on him thinking we were going to see the end of last season's Sonny Michelle going forward they don't seem to be using him quite that way uh this would have been seemingly a prime time for him to have a pretty big feature role with Antonio Brown being released Edelman and Gordon getting banged up and James White not even being in the game and yet nine carries 11 yards he gets you the touchdown, so it looks better on paper, but only one target. He's not really a passing factor either. Yeah, I mean, it's insane to me how much he is just not getting used, and, and that was something I was going to bring up. Devlin does go to IR, so maybe that moves the team more toward a Rex Burkhead and James White 
backfield instead of Sony Michelle because he just has not been running the ball. He does not look at all with the guy we saw in the playoffs. Now, maybe they're not using him correctly, but in all honesty, I think it's more him. We know that he was dealing with a lot of knee issues throughout preseason and training camp. He missed a lot of time there. Maybe it's just he's trying to get back in the groove of things, but watching him run at times against the Jets and the Dolphins was just bad. Yeah. Like he, he would get two yards and be down. And again, 11 yards on nine carries. Like He just does not look like the same guy. And I don't want to say that he's already kind of falling into that Jay Ajayi role in a way because he has the same knee injury. And we saw Jay Ajayi fade quickly. But I am officially worried about Michelle moving forward. Again, they use Burkhead a lot in this game. White was out dealing with, I can't remember exactly what it was. I know it was a personal issue with his father. I don't know exactly what it was. but No, his wife his wife gave birth. Oh, his wife gave birth. No, maybe that's what I meant was he was becoming a father. I'm sorry. I just heard something with yep. a father and I didn't know what it was. So he, But that was only going to be a oh. one-time thing. He's going to be back next week. So Yeah, and potentially an underrated story is the Patriots lost a few pieces on the offensive line then had their center go down for the year in the preseason. So that's kind of a unit they've shuffled and rebuilt a little bit. Maybe that's taking more of a toll on somebody like Sonny Michel, who's more of a traditional running back, than it will on White and Burkhead, who are kind of bounce around, slide through, slither through open holes, catch passes in the backfield. I think it certainly bears watching. Sonny Michel got off to a slow start last year for various reasons and really ended up being a focal point of their offense in late November and December. So, you know, that's something to watch out for, too. He could just end up being the guy that puts you over the top in the playoffs. But it, for somebody that was going as high as he was going in drafts, it's certainly going to be concerning. But running back already, we're only three weeks into the season, running back and quarterback have already almost been kind of a wasteland. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Even with, uh, you know, right now, I think, including myself as a Sony Michelle owner, we're just hoping we make the playoffs for him to hopefully do that. Because right now, with the production yeah. he's given us, that's not going to happen. So it's not going to matter what he does in, in November uh, and December, because I'm not going to be in the playoffs anyway with the way he's been playing. So, yeah, it's it, it's trying times. I, I did look earlier, so Rex Burkhead is still available in like 40% of leagues. If you can get him, I would do everything you could to get him because I would not be surprised if this offense, especially what you were just talking about with the offensive line and everything, if this does not move towards a more James White Rex Burkhead backfield for a couple more weeks or and Sony Michelle just continue doing what he yeah. does, which, again, not a bad even flex play because he is still getting you double-digit points because of the touchdowns. But if he doesn't get you a touchdown, you're going to go back to that week one Sony Michelle that you had where I think he got like two points. And that's just not going to get it done. So he's a guy who might end up having to get moved to the bench, uh, much like Stefan Diggs, and you can't move him back into your lineup until he shows you that he's worthy of being in your lineup. Yeah. The Detroit Lions and the Philadelphia Eagles played on Sunday. The Lions won this one 27-24. Matt Stafford, 18-32, 201 yards and a touchdown to finish as QB 26 on the week with 18.6 points. Carryon Johnson comes in at RB 27 with 11.3 points. 36 yards on 20 carries and one touchdown. That you That's right, 36 yards on 20 carries. No, I'm sorry, uh... Marvin Jones comes in at wide receiver 11 with 22 points in this one. He gets you 101 yards, one touchdown on six catches. Great touchdown catch by him, by the way. And Kenny Galladay kind of struggles a little bit in this one, coming in as wide receiver 88 with 3.7 points, just 17 yards on two catches. So the Lions actually currently come in undefeated. I, I know when you were to go and look at it right now, you would see seven teams that are 3-0, and but technically the Lions have not been beaten yet as they are 2-0-1 with their tie to Arizona. This is the best start they have had since 2011. Kenny Galladay had a bad game here, but I personally still trust him and, and his role in this offense moving forward. Uh, Marvin Jones, I do think you're going to get these games out of him every once in a while. I still think he's a worthy flex play. I don't expect him to do this every week, uh, but he definitely has this high upside uh, potential. We've seen him finish as a top 12 uh, wide receiver uh, the, the previous few years outside of last year because of the injury. But TJ Hawkinson, is, is he worth a drop now as we've seen kind of two games in a row he's not really been involved in the offense? Yeah, I think 
redraft, he's either a deep stash or or a drop. Uh, people got really excited that first week, but I think we've seen, as we've seen three games now, Arizona just can't guard the t- the tight end. I mean, they let uh, Olsen go for two touchdowns this week. They let Andrews and uh, the other, I think it was Boyle. Uh, or Hurst catch touchdowns when they were against Baltimore. They just they can't guard the tight end, um, so that might have been more of an aberration. What are your thoughts on on Carry On? Are you worried at, about him at all? Again, had a had a bad week week one, bounced back last week and had a really good weekend, then seemed to struggle a little bit again in week three. I mean, the usage is there, so you like that. He's he's gotten touchdowns, which have helped. Um, Yards for carry isn't great, but I, I, I seem to think they're making a, a commitment with, to him with every move they made. They let Theoretic go in the offseason. They cut C.J. Anderson earlier this season. I know they like Ty Johnson uh, behind him, but I think Carrion's pretty firmly the guy. It's a decent offense. I still think you're playing him. Yeah, I don't. I'm, I'm with you on that. I don't think you can not have him in your lineup just due to the usage and everything, and them hopefully leaning on him. But man, that well, the one thing I will say is Eagles, while their secondary is horrible, their defensive line and linebackers is is right there in the top of the league. They have a phenomenal defensive line in the linebacker core. So maybe that has something to do with carry on struggles this week. For the Eagles side, Carson Wentz goes 19 to 36, 259 yards and two touchdowns to finish as QB8 on the week with 33.41 points. Miles Sanders has a good week here. 13 carries, 53 yards, adds 73 yards on two catches to finish as, uh, again, RB22 with 12.6 points. Nelson Aguilar steps up with uh, everybody else in that wide receiver core being injured to finish as wide receiver 10 on the week with 23 points. He gets you 60, I'm sorry, uh, 50 yards on eight catches and two touchdowns. Zach Ertz comes in as tight end 12 with 10.4 points, 64 yards on four catches, and then Matt Collins, 62 yards on four catches to come in as wide receiver 47. The Eagles offense continues to struggle. Maybe that has something to do with the fact that they have lost Alshon and Deshaun Jackson. Dallas Goddard was banged up coming into this one as well. Uh, should get Alshon back for this Thursday night game against, I don't remember who, the Packers, the Packers. which hopefully, yeah, hopefully will be a good game. But I liked what I saw out of, of Miles Sanders. The one thing I'm not I'm not going to jump too much into this and, and hope that he is going to continue to be the guy because he's still on kickoff duty, and that does worry me a little bit. I feel like if they're going to make him the full workhorse back, he's not going to be returning kickoffs. So once that happens and he's not doing that anymore, I'll be a little bit more excited about him, but I like that he is getting more involved in the receiving game. Uh, that was something that I thought was a little underrated coming out of college because they didn't use him that much at Penn State either, uh, and I thought he looked a little bit better rushing the ball as well. Where where, where your thoughts go with this Eagles offense? Yeah, I I mean, I think they just have a lot of injuries. They've played a tough schedule. Uh, To me, the Eagles are always a little bit unpredictable with their usage of running backs and who they're going to feature at receiver. Um, You know, they had a a decent game, uh, came up a little bit short. They actually have been playing a pretty tough schedule, and that's going to continue Thursday night with an undefeated Packers team that features a very much more robust secondary. Yeah, that is the Packers' defense has been incredible. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. Them getting back Alshon is going to help, but I'm pretty sure they've already, if they haven't ruled out DJX for Week 5, he is extremely questionable from what I saw that he will likely not play in week five or week four. I'm sorry. So it's going to be interesting to say the least that that game for sure, because like I said, that Packers defense has been extraordinary so far. The Houston Texans and the Los Angeles Chargers battled it out in Los Angeles. Houston won that one 27-20. So, Deshaun Watson, 25-34, 351 yards and three touchdowns. Adds 18 yards on seven rushes uh, to finish up at top, I'm sorry, at QB5 with 38.9 points. Carlos Hyde comes in at RB37 with 7.9 points. 19 yards on 10 carries and one touchdown. Duke Johnson comes in with just two yards on two recept, um, two carries. Gets 22 yards on two catches to finish his RB52 with 4.4 points. DeAndre Hopkins has another slow week here. Wide receiver 39 with 12.7 points. 
Gets you 67 yards on six catches. Kenny Stills comes in as your top wide receiver with 89 yards on four catches to get you 12.9 points, wide receiver 37. And then Jordan Aikens, a guy who's kind of been battling out there at the tight end position, has a long touchdown play in this one, 53 yards. uh, Gets you 73 yards on three catches and a touchdown to come in at tight end five with 22.3 points. Again, the Texans' huge road win here. Watson continues to get banged up, though, which worries me a lot. He's continually getting sacked in a crazy amount of times he's already been sacked I can't remember the exact number but it's it's just been ridiculous so far uh and I feel like that's a bad that's that's bad for them and him moving forward because there's a really good chance he's going to get hurt if he keeps getting hit as much as he has this is another bad game for Hopkins and when I say bad in the fact that he's just not putting up the elite wide receiver one number still getting you double digit points which I guess is is about as much as you can ask for for some wide receivers but are you trusting Stills and or Aikens moving forward in this offense? Uh, no. Um, you know, that seemed a little fluky, especially Aikens. Uh, Stills um, got probably some more work uh, because I didn't see Kuti in there. Yeah. Uh, so um, in the when they've been out there, when both of them have played, they seemingly have split that role. Um, he also had kind of a long 38-yard one, which did something for him. I, I really think we're down to the Texans. You're playing DeAndre Hopkins. He has the ability to go off any time. I still like Watson. Hyde is probably a low-end flex. Duke Johnson, it almost feels like he's verging on droppable territory. They worked out C.J. Anderson today which is a real red flag to me because, you know, we thought, I was one that thought Hyde coming over wouldn't impact a lot and has seemingly impacted a ton. And now they're working out other running backs. You kind of get the feeling that uh, they may have a little buyer's remorse on Duke Johnson, the way that his usage has fallen off and, and the way they're working as a team. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm with you on that. That's going to be interesting. But something we we talked about a lot when Duke went there. You know, if he was going to be the guy, it would be an interesting play because he would get a lot of rushes. But as we've talked about many times, they just don't dump the ball off to running backs. And that's really where all of Duke's value is going to come from at this point with them having Hyde. Uh, so I would not be surprised if they cut him. I hope they do, just because I do think Duke Johnson is still a good football player uh, and likely, hopefully, would get picked up by a team that wants to use him the way that he can be used because uh, he's just sitting kind of uh, in an RB purgatory at the moment in Houston. I did want to ask you one more question before we move on to the Chargers side. What about Will Fuller? Because I feel like, for me, he he's kind of moved to a bench player. For me, he's... He is not giving you the big play, which you were hoping for when you throw him in likely your flex spot every week. 51 yards on five catches, but got 30 of those yards on one play. So then really four yards for four catches for 21 more yards. Just has not put up the big play at all this week. Is, is he moving to your bench as well? Yeah, I mean, he, he hasn't been a super reliable play. I still feel like he's the number two option in Houston. It's just what does that mean and it's it's hard to see really defined uh value beyond uh hopkins who we know is always going to be the primary target sometimes you know is not going to put up elite numbers but fuller's been steady uh if you were in a deeper league i think he's put up decent flex numbers um but we haven't seen the explosiveness that we've seen in previous years yeah for the Chargers side here, so Phillip Rivers finishes his QB 11 on the week with 31.37 points, 31 of 46, 318 yards, two touchdowns, and gets nine yards rushing. Actually had a really, really nice uh, first down run there in the uh, toward the end of that game. Austin Eckler comes in as RB 18 with 15.1 points, 36 yards on nine carries, and adds 45 yards on seven catches. Keenan Allen dominated this week, coming in at wide receiver two, 183 yards, 13 receptions, and two touchdowns. Mike Williams, 45 yards on three catches to, to come in as wide receiver 62 with 7.5 points. For the Chargers, I, I really feel like it's just Eckler and Allen are the only guys that I'm willing to play right now. I mean, obviously, if you need to use Phillip Rivers, but I, I feel like he's likely the uh, in between 11 and 20 every single week. This was a, a high-scoring yeah. game for them. 
So that's why he he puts up the numbers. Mike Williams, I feel like a lot of people were really high on him. Got drafted really high as a wide receiver, too, for a lot of people. I think he's a low-end flex play for me. He has just not done anything. Maybe that's the knee injury he suffered back in week one. What are your thoughts on, on Mike Williams? And then what are your thoughts on our guy, Justin Jackson? Because now we're, we're three games in, and he has just not been able to, to separate himself away from Eckler. Now, the, the Chargers have played a tough schedule, um, too. Uh, I can't remember exactly who they were playing uh, week. Oh, they played the Colts week one, yeah. uh, and which is obviously a decent team. They were on the road in Detroit last week, decent team, and then home against the Texans. So, um, Justin Jackson, uh, you know, you can't really play him right now. It was nice to see him get involved in the passing game more. He got four receptions for a grand total of four yards. So, you know, you got to take the, the good with the bad. Um, you know, you, I'd like to see the Chargers play a game where maybe they were able to establish a more comfortable lead. What is What are they going to look like against, like, an Oakland? Um, but right now I'm with you. Keenan Allen, wide receiver one. Austin Eckler pretty solidly uh, high-end RB2 with the chance to really boost up if he gets touchdowns. Phillip Rivers, solid QB2. Other than that, Anything else is a deep league dart throw. Well, you might get your wish on that because the Chargers get the Dolphins this week. So this might be their opportunity to get up early on a team. Although the Dolphins did look much better, uh, this might be their chance to kind of play up and, and see how they use some of their other weapons. Yeah. Next up, we have got the Pittsburgh Steelers and the San Francisco 49ers. The Steelers fall into 0-3, losing 20-24. On Pittsburgh's side, Mason Rudolph, I thought, had a decent game for his first game. Out there, 14-27, 174 yards, two touchdowns, one interception to come in at QB 23 on the week with 21.9 points. James Conner continues to struggle so far this season. 43 yards on 13 carries, adds 14 yards on 4 catches to get you 7.7 points. Juju Smith-Schuster saves your day with a huge touchdown run, finishing out at wide receiver 18 with 18.6 points in this one. 81 yards, 3 catches on a touchdown, but again, the 76-yard touchdown play saves his day. And Deontay Johnson, much of the same, gets a 39-yard touchdown pass, gets 52 yards on 3 catches, to come in at wide receiver 27 with 4.8 points. A lot of turnovers in this one for the Steelers, and they really weren't able to do anything with them. I thought Rudolph looked okay here, but Juju's starting to scare me a little bit. This is now the second week in a row that without without a big touchdown play, he's not getting you any points. Are we, we already talked about Juju kind of falling, not necessarily far out of that wide receiver one territory, but toward the back of it, maybe a high-end wide receiver two with Big Ben being out. Now Mason Rudolph's in there, and he did target him seven times, but still not... I mean, I'm, I'm honestly a little bit worried about him. What are your thoughts on Juju moving forward? Yeah, I think he's down as a wide receiver two. I think Connor is down to mid-pack RB2. Um I had thought Deontay Johnson looked like he could be a receiver that would take a step up. Um, excited. He looked good uh, at times there. Kind of surprised we didn't see more from James Washington. I thought he was a guy that would benefit from Mason Rudolph, his college quarterback, coming in. Just really still haven't seen it. I think Pittsburgh is joining a long line of teams early in the season where we're going to have to t- t- tone down our uh, fantasy expectations for going forward. Yeah, and it's, it's, man, it sucks to see because everybody uh, was really hoping, and I thought Juju had a chance to kind of outdo, not necessarily outproduce what Antonio Brown did because regardless of what he does off the field, he was a Hall of Fame player on the field. But definitely take a step forward, him being the number one guy there, Big Ben going down, has not helped him at all. Obviously, still dealing with a little bit of a toe injury as well that he suffered in that first game. So hopefully better days ahead with Juju Smith-Schuster than finally kind of getting more and more weeks under Mason Rudolph and everything, but not a great way to come out against the possibly good, though, 49ers defense. Uh, they have played very well. They are 3-0. and While they haven't played great competition, uh, they have caused a lot of turnovers and done a lot. So maybe maybe it's more of the San Francisco 49ers defense 
Time will tell moving forward with them. On the 49ers side, Jimmy G goes 22 of 32, 277 yards, a touchdown, an interception, and finishes QB 28 on the week with 17.13 points. Jeff Wilson Jr. comes in at RB20 with 13.8 points, just vulturing all of the touchdowns in the red zone. 18 yards on 8 carries and 2 touchdowns. Raheem Mostert is actually your leader uh, rushing-wise with 79 yards and on 12 carries. Does not do much of anything, actually nothing, in the receiving game. Comes in the RB45 with 5.9 points. Matt Breida, RB29 with 10.8 points in this one. Uh, He gets you... Oh, man, I just lost it. He gets you 68 yards on 14 carries, adds 20 yards on two catches. Dante Pettis comes back finally and gets you a touchdown. A lot of people, Pettis truthers, were were waiting to see that. Wide receiver 40 on the week with 12 points. Uh, Let's see here. Pettis gets you, uh, excuse me, sorry, 20 yards on four catches and a touchdown. Debo Samuel. Uh, has a, a little bit of a slower game here, though it is hard to keep up with 16 points like he put up last week. 44 yards on three catches in this one to come in at wide receiver 64 with 7.4 points. And then George Kittle just comes in at tight end 10 again this week, not having a bad year, but not having the year that we all expected. Again, 14.7 points, just 57 yards on six catches in this one. So they move to 3-0. Their RBs are kind of all over the place with Jeff Wilson Jr., Mostert, and Brita, and there are talks that Kevin Coleman might be back this week, at, at least no later than week five. So that likely means Jeff Wilson is going to be cut or or relegated back to some kind of bench role. I don't. I imagine this actually hurts Mo, uh, Mostert as well as it's likely going to be a the Coleman Brita show once Coleman comes back. What are your thoughts on the backfield with Coleman possibly returning in the next week or two? I think my thoughts are, for the 49ers in general, there's going to be plenty of fantasy value to be had every week. Good luck figuring out who to play. I am am grateful they have a bye week in week four because trying to figure out, you know, who to play has just been a nightmare. Um, I would also say I would urge patience on George Kittle. Still led the team in targets with eight, six receptions for 57 yards. He's getting the targets. He's getting the catches. I think touchdowns will come. Um, I still think he's a solid play. He still seems to be the most uh, easily discernible focal point in the passing game, whereas receiver targets feel like they're all over the map. Running back carries and position feel like it's all over the map. Um, This probably joins a long list of teams this year where it's going to be some fantasy frustration week to week. Yeah, and on Kittle, I'm I'm same. I'm right there with you. I, I urge patience on him. He's through three weeks again. He finishes a top three tight end last year. Through three weeks last year, he had less points than he has this year. And we also have to remember he had two touchdowns called back in week one due to holding penalties on the offensive line. So his year would look completely different right now had those two touchdowns not got called back. He's doing fine. He's still putting up points. Again, it's really just been the touchdowns. He's not getting the touchdowns, which he got last year. Those will come eventually. I think I'm with you on that. Uh, So not to worry about George Kittle. He's a guy you can easily keep playing every week because, again, 10 point or 14 points at your tight end that still gets you a top 10 tight end finish that's more than good enough at this point because you don't have a whole lot of tight ends doing anything uh, outside of Evan Ingram and Darren Waller it seems who are putting up 20 points a week everybody else kind of falls in that 14 to, to 20 category I mean Austin Hooper had 20 points as well this week but Zach Ertz has been struggling so is Travis Kelsey so don't read too much into it it is just three weeks in George Kittle has too much talent to bail on him just yet Next up, we had the New Orleans Saints and the Seattle Seahawks. The Saints pulling out the victory here 33-27. to On the Saints side, Teddy Ballgame, Teddy Two Gloves, Bridgewater, comes out there and is able to have a decent game. 19-27, 177 yards and two touchdowns to come in his QB 19 with 25 points. Alvin Kamara finishes the week as RB1 with 37 Point one point sixty nine yards on 16 carries and a touchdown, as 92 yards on 9 catches and a touchdown. And then Michael Thomas is still just is Michael Thomas. 54 yards, 5 catches, and a touchdown. Uh, for me, the Saints looked good. Uh, Sean Payton 
offensive mind, kind of a guy I feel like we all forget about at times because he has Drew Brees, but has always been a very good offensive coach. Looked like he was able to tailor a game plan around Teddy Bridgewater, which we talked about when he came in for Drew Brees last week, that he came in and was running a game plan and offense that was based for Drew Brees at the time, and Teddy Bridgewater is no Drew Brees. They they game and tailored a game plan around Teddy Bridgewater, and he succeeded. He had a good game. It helped with all of the fumbles and everything they got from Chris Carson, but still an all-around good offensive game from the Saints. However, I still feel like it's just Kamara and Thomas moving forward. I don't trust anybody else. Uh, you know, Ted Ginn was uh, had 15 yards. He was the next best wide receiver. 15 yards on two catches. He was targeted five times. Jared Cook twice, and then you know Taysom Hill once, and. I mean, yeah. Alvin Kamara, 10 targets, Michael Thomas, 7. So you're, you're yeah. leaning on Kamara and Thomas, and that's it. Kamara and Thomas look like they're still RB1, WR1, respectively. You're not playing anyone else. Uh, the real loser in this appears to be people that bought into Latavius Murray. We thought yeah. he might be more of a piece of the run game. He is actually less, which I think when we were talking about the preview, I, I commented that I had actually gone back and looked at the play-by-play yeah. and saw that many of his carries were when Breeze were in there. Well, you saw two carries, two yards. In a game where they actually led quite, you know, they were up 20-7 to at the half. They were up 27-7 to after three quarters. You would think that would be a time uh, when you would see more Latavius Murray, and you didn't. Uh, so I think... Kamara and Thomas are pretty much it. Teddy Bridgewater looks like he would be uh, an okay play in two quarterback leagues. For Seattle's side here, Russell Wilson, 32 of 50 for 406 yards and two touchdowns, adds 51 yards and two touchdowns on the ground to come in his QB1 on the week with 53.34 points. C.J. Procise leads the running backs in points here, at least, with five yards on four carries. Adds five catches and 38 yards to come in at RB. 33 with 9.3 points again. Chris Carson, 53 yards on 15 carries, but fumbled the ball three times in this one. Tyler Lockett comes in at wide receiver four with 32.4 points, 154 yards, a touchdown on 11 catches. DK Metcalf, 67 yards on two catches, though 54 of that coming on one. So not a great day for Metcalf here. But Will Disley continues to surprise at the tight end position. Comes in at tight end six with 18.2 points, 62 yards, a touchdown on six catches. We saw Disley really kind of come on at the end of last year before he got hurt, and it's really kind of started off strong here in the first three weeks of this season. What are your thoughts on Disley moving forward? Has he moved into a, a set him and start him tight end for you every week? Yeah, I actually started him in a few leagues this week. Um, I think he's a guy we forgot about because he got hurt so early last year, but he was really rock solid before he went out. Yeah. Looks like he picked up where he left off. Uh, Lockett, I think, is, a, is an extremely solid play every week. And so is uh, Russell Wilson. Carson Starting to be a little concerning that he can't hang on to the ball. He's probably a little lucky that Penny didn't play in this one, um, or else I would have been curious to see if he got rotated out a little bit more. So that's that's something that bears watching going forward. He hasn't been incredibly efficient either. 15 carries, only 53 yards, then he adds all those fumbles. That's not what you're looking for from a guy that many people were hoping would be a solid RB2. Yeah, the, the one thing, if you're a Carson owner or a truther, that you can hold on to is Pete Carroll did come out today and say that they're going to keep handing Carson the ball. He is still the guy. Uh, and, and in Carson's defense on the fumbles, he has never fumbled the ball. He's only fumbled the ball three times in his entire career leading up until this year where I believe he's already had five fumbles. Probably just some kind of issue going on with him. Should be fine moving forward. Uh, I personally don't think Rashad Penny is is that good, so I'm not too worried about him. Uh, obviously, if he had played and got a lot of run, he has looked good at times. Maybe he steals some more work away from Carson, but Carson's still the guy going forward, at least right now, from Pete Carroll, so you've got that to hold on to, but definitely needs to stop fumbling the ball. The last game on Week Three's docket here: the Chicago Bears and the Washington Redskins. So the Bears winning this one, 31 to 15, really on the back of their defense. Although Mitch Trubisky does end up having a good day, he was put in a lot of great positions all game long. 25 of 31, 231 yards, three touchdowns, one interception to come in as QB. 
10 on the week with 31.69 points. David Montgomery comes in at RB28 with 11.1 points, 67 yards on 13 carries, and then adds 14 yards on three catches as well. Tariq Cohen, just 26 yards on two catches, does absolutely nothing in the rushing game. Taylor Gabriel has a career game, likely something we won't see out of him again. Comes in at wide receiver 5 with 32.2 points, 75 yards, 3 touchdowns on 6 catches. And then Allen Robinson, I thought, had a really good game here as well. 60 yards on 6 catches, though only comes in at wide receiver 41 with 12 points. Again, the the Redskins defense, 2 fumbles, 3 interceptions. They were they scored a pick 6, really kind of put the, the, the Bears offense in uh, good positions all night. A lot like what we've seen the past couple years. A lot of people thought that Mitch Trubisky would continue to improve and and continue to excel. Yet, I really think a lot of it is because of that defense. A lot like last year when they led the league in turnovers, they kept turning to other teams over and putting him in good positions, good field position to get points. They did the same thing last night, and I was not overly excited with what I saw out of Michigan. I only watched till a little over halftime. I, I watched a little bit of the first or the third quarter before I ended up going to sleep. I'm just not that sold on Mitch. If it were me personally, I would try and sell high on him with his performance that we had the other night. What was your takeaway from the Bears offense? Yeah, I mean, it's probably not a bad idea to sell high. I think they still are not exactly maximizing their potential. But I do feel good since my my first in our bold call segment was that Trubisky would finish as a top 10 quarterback. And (laughs) it was touch or go. When I saw him throw that interception, I was like, Mitch, are you trying to kill me but uh he did just barely get in there i i still think gabriel you kind of see one of these games it feels like every year so you're right about that i would not be starting him with confidence if you started him last night well congratulations you should have also played the lottery robinson looks pretty solid i'm still confused by the bears play calling and player rotations until we got into time where they were really trying to milk the clock Cordell Patterson had more carries and more yardage than David Montgomery. I just don't get what they're doing right now. You know, I, I I hate to go everything Browns like I tend to do sometimes, but I just feel like he's trying to be too cute, like Freddie Kitchens. David Montgomery, we've seen. I, I know that he dances a little bit too much in the backfield sometimes, but David Montgomery is the best get, runner of the football. Tariq Cohen's a phenomenal receiver out of the backfield. I, I, David Montgomery can't touch him on that. But David Montgomery, in my opinion, is the best pure runner they have back there. They need to use him more often. And that's not just me coming from the guy who owns David Montgomery in a couple of leagues, but just what I've seen out of him, he needs to be handed the ball more often. I don't understand the Cordero Patterson stuff at all. I, it completely com- confounds me and, and confuses me at why they do why they use him like that. Yeah, there was one point uh, in the fourth quarter where Montgomery, Patterson, and Cohen all had four carries apiece. And I'm like, you know, no wonder no one's established themselves over three quarters. They got each got four carries. They're never in there enough to get into a rhythm. Most great running backs need consistent carries to kind of get going and get in a rhythm. He hasn't had that in any of his three games. It's almost the reverse of the opening night of the season. We saw him get six quick carries in the first half and then not even get back into the game. So you couldn't see what he was doing the last couple of weeks. It's just been all over the place. And I think that has an impact on Trubisky as well. Um, you know, you don't know who they're going to feature, what they're trying to do. You know, three weeks into this season, I still don't have a sense of who these bears are on offense. Yeah, I mean, the one good thing I guess you can look at if you're a Montgomery owner is he did get 13 carries, which was by far the most. The only guy in double digits, again, the next best was Tariq Cohen and Cordero Patterson with four each. So he's definitely getting the carries. Uh, I just think they need to commit more to the run uh, because they just have not done a lot of that. Maybe that was had to do, again, with the interceptions and the turnovers and them being where they were. Obviously, Taylor Gabriel getting three touchdowns doesn't help either. Uh, So maybe we'll see better game script from them moving. Moving forward, again, the most carries, so you can't take that part of it away. Uh, but just confusing, as you stated, with the, with the whole Cordero Patterson thing. I think they need to stop getting cute and just and just play their best players and move forward. Speaking of not playing your best players, 
The Washington Redskins left Case Keenum out there all night long, although I do kind of get it. You really don't want to throw your rookie, possible future franchise quarterback out there against a very good Bears defense. But Keenum goes 30 for 43, 332 yards, two inter- two touchdowns, three interceptions to finish his QB 21 on the week with 23.8 points. Chris Thompson comes in with 29 yards on seven carries at 79 yards on four catches to come in at RB19 with 14.8 points. Paul Richardson makes a, makes a little bit of a name for himself here. Shows up in the box score pretty well. 83 yards on eight catches and a touchdown in this one to come in at wide receiver nine with 23.8 points. And scary Terry McLaurin does it again. Wide receiver 17, 19 points in this one. 70 yards on six catches and a touchdown. The first player in NFL history to get a touchdown and five catches in his first three games or in each game for his first three games so that is something to be said again we are in the hundredth year of the NFL and that has never happened good for him great kid out of Ohio State a guy that a lot of people were down on because he was not used that well at Ohio State has just looked phenomenal so Case Keenum Coach Gruden came out today and said he's still the guy moving forward. They're not playing Dwayne Haskins, which I get and don't get. I imagine it's because Jay Gruden is pretty much coaching for his job at this point, and he is just trying to get wins. And in a way, he did come out and say that and said, I'm just trying to win ballgames. So he's going to leave Case Keenum out there, which in a way, again, like I said, makes sense. They do have a a tough schedule moving forward. I know they have uh, the Patriots in two weeks, and they play the Giants this week. So that may not be a bad place to throw them out there, but they do get the Patriots, and then they come back to the Dolphins and 49ers. Don't know if we'll see Dwayne Haskins anytime soon. But in a way, Case Keenum is getting it done. Terry McLaurin, I think, is easily wide receiver to flex territory for me moving forward. But what are your thoughts on Paul Richardson? Would you trust picking him up, a guy who is available in a lot of leagues, and possibly throwing him into your flex spot? I would this week because they're playing the Giants. Um, I think Richardson, uh, McLaurin, and Chris Thompson are all guys I would consider playing. Uh, the Giants do not have much in the way of a imposing pass defense. Uh Keenum, I, I think really a big part of it is they're afraid to put Haskins out there behind what is a pretty poor offensive line. Um, we'll see how they fare against the Giants, which are a lesser defense. But, um, you know, hopefully when they get to the softer part of the schedule, they'll play Haskins because I, if he's coaching for his job, I would even more throw Haskins out there, a guy the owner seems to love. Um, because nothing about this Redskins team looks good except for Terry McLaren. Yeah, uh, God, and I love me some scary Terry, a guy that I had ranked in my top ten of my in my rookie projections uh, earlier this year, and he has definitely panned out for me. A guy I was able to get in a lot of dynasty leagues because of that, because he was not going until the third round in most of those dynasty leagues. So before we get out of here, really quick, uh, I have a question. I want to ask of you, and we'll do more some talk of this on Thursday, uh, but just a couple guys that you might be willing to buy low on, redraft or dynasty, based on how bad their first couple weeks has been. So, for instance, we could have used Mike Evans at this point last year. Obviously, you're not buying low on him now with the game he had last week. But a guy like Stephon Diggs, uh, would you be willing to buy low on Stephon Diggs right now in hopes that it turns around, or is he someone you'd, you'd avoid altogether? I would not buy low on Diggs right now. I think I have too many questions about the offense in Minnesota. Um, I think guys that they're panicking on that I might try to go acquire a guy like George Kittle that we just talked about where he hasn't gotten the touchdowns, but he's gotten steady production. You can feel pretty confident of his role in the offense. Um, maybe a carry-on Johnson owner who's looking at, oh, this guy's only getting 30 yards a game. I feel like the opportunity is there and the talent is there. Um, that's somebody I would get. Diggs, the talent is there. I don't know that the opportunity is there. Uh, and through three weeks, there's been nothing about Minnesota's pass offense that gives me a great sense of confidence that it's going to get back to where it was maybe two years ago when uh, Case Keenum was there. All right, I'm going to ask you two more, and then I will. I'll save the rest of these for Thursday because I am interested to get uh, some some real into real deep talk with you and Tony about a lot of these guys. Two guys that are really low, lowly ranked 
right now based on the points that they have put up that were supposed to be studs coming into this season. Joe Mixon at running back and as someone we talked, well, we already talked a little bit about Sonny Michelle, so I'll leave him out of it. But how about how about Joe Mixon? Would you be willing to buy low on him? And what about Todd Gurley, another guy who maybe with load management and everything, we, we thought he wouldn't have quite a good year, but has not produced what we thought, but has not also necessarily looked bad as well. Would you be willing to buy low on either one of those? Uh, Gurley, yes, because I think it's actually part of an overall plan, uh, and I think he may actually start taking steps up in uh, usage as we go along. And also, I, I think he still has a fair crack at red zone opportunities. Um, he's somebody that I have more confidence in because he's on a good team. Mixon, I have been down on for a few weeks because Cincinnati has a really poor offensive line. Um, saw more of a spark this week than I was expecting. Um, but I, I think, you know, people thought maybe it was the injury that slowed him. I'm sure that didn't help. But uh, Cincinnati going to be down a lot, it seems like, and they don't block very well. Um, those, to me, are red flags for a guy that you had counted on as, as a big premier rusher. And actually, based on what he did this week with uh, showing more life on the ground and getting in the passing game and getting in the end zone, you're probably not getting the discount you were after last week's game. So that's even more of a reason where I wouldn't be uh, running out to get it because somebody who took mix and had to avoid had to have used a pretty high probably second round pick in yeah. terms of draft capital and they're hoping the guy comes around and after a, a spark where he puts up a decent game he's not going to come cheap yeah, that is that's probably fairly true on Mixon. Well, thank you, Matt, so much for joining me today and finishing up talking about week three. I look forward to talking to you and Tony on Thursday about some Broncos, Colts, and some buy lows and sell high players. Sounds great. See you then. Prepare for glory. I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your popcorn ready? I came out the wrong line ready. And he's hit the end zone. Who can make a play? I can! Who can make a play? I can!